And this morning we are going to continue on um, with Matthew. I'm going to have you stand with me as we read. I'm going to have you wait, though, in that as you stand, you have in your bulletins actually from verses 15 to 21, but I'm going to read 9 through 15 first, and you can either follow along with me, and then we'll all pick up together at verse 15, because the verse 9 through uh, 14 gives the context, and we want to make sure that we hear that as we get ready to go forward. Um, So let me read it for you, starting at verse 9. He went on from there and entered their synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, And they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? He said to them, which one of you who has sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Let's pick up together at verse 15. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. And many followed him, and he healed them all, and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory." And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. Father, we pray that you would help our minds and our hearts to be set and focused on you as we hear and subsequently do your word. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. This text is interesting because it culminates this whole whole thing of, of, of Jesus being now contrasted with, Jesus being contrasted with the Pharisees. Here are the religious leaders versus the king. It is these evil-hearted religious leaders versus the king. And what we are seeing here is the distance continues to be created. It gets wider and wider as Jesus is demonstrating who he is before the people. And here he distances himself even more from the religious leaders and, 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 and they in their quest to look like those who have it all together, they in their quest to look like those who says, look at us, we are doing what God would have you do, are actually showing that they have no clue what God would have them do. And that because their hearts are so turned away from the Lord that they are actually opposing what is good. And Jesus demonstrates that last week we saw that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. He is the one that determines what is to be done on that day of rest and reflection. And we talked about why, yes, the Sabbath existed because that was the day that the Lord stopped, rested, ceased, not because he was tired, but that he ceased creation. He finished it, he completed, and then there was a time of rest and there was a time of, 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 of worship it was intended for man. And so now... As he comes around, 
The Sabbath now is there for them to understand. It is a tool for them to get close to and to worship God and to make sure in the busyness of life, they always have some time for worship and reflection. And then we also said last week why we celebrate on Sunday versus Saturday, versus the Sabbath is because Resurrection Day was the day after the Sabbath. And so the early believers started to celebrate Resurrection Day as any one of us would, that day that Christ completely did what he said he would do, and that is he rose from the dead and that he now claimed victory and he stood as king, all-powerful. And so we worship on Resurrection Day, which for us becomes this day. And so it doesn't nullify the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was never meant to be a shrine that was worshiped. The Sabbath was meant to be a tool for us to draw close to God. And so the deal becomes whether you worship on Saturday or Sunday, God says, don't trip. There are some that go to church on Saturday evening, and some of us that get all beside ourselves. No, they're supposed to be there on Sunday. They're supposed to be there on Sunday morning. As a matter of fact, between 10 and 12, you should have your service. Mm, I don't see that anywhere. See, the issue becomes that you have time that you pull out and you worship corporately, collectively. We choose this day. There are some that have several services because the church is so large, they have it over the, over the weekend. They go Saturday, Sunday several times. And, and, and which one is right? All. Because the deal becomes you are pulling out to corporately worship the Lord. And if you set one aside as if you don't do it like this, you're ungodly. You're putting yourself in a very pharisaical position. And so we realize that Jesus says, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. And what he was saying is that it was meant to be mankind to use, not for it to be something that mankind is subjected under. And if we keep that, it is not this law that we're keeping that somehow if you don't walk through those doors on a particular day, that somehow you have lost something. But if you are not gathering together with believers, Hebrews has some words for you. When Hebrews 10 tells us, it says that, that hey, that we are to gather. It is, it is God that is calling us to. Do not forsake the assembling, the gathering of yourselves. He says, as some are doing, as some are doing, he says, do not forsake it, which means you willingly choose not to do it. It isn't saying that you were kept away because of work or you were kept away because you could not be there. So folk that aren't able to be here kind of get all antsy. Oh, I wasn't at church today. Well, you know, you should be. Yeah, you should miss the fellowship, but you shouldn't think that God is standing there with his finger going, I'm going to get you because you couldn't make it. And so he tells us, he, he, he eases up and he tells us he has grace enough for us to manage and navigate this as we come together. And I love that. He has grace enough. And so now he even deepens his example. He wants to, he, he decides that he's going to show them even more what he means by what should be happening on that day that we gather, that it should be for the good. I told you earlier, we were going to get into this, is that, is that our gathering should be for the good. And so he now enters one of their synagogues 
And as he comes in there, there is a man in there with a withered or a paralyzed hand. That word withered means dried up. And, and, and so he has no use of it. And so that's going to affect that person in, in a number of ways in this very agrarian society. And so he's, he's, he, he's in the place of worship. And he's in the place, I find this interesting, he's in the place where God should be focused on in worship and where he should find comfort to be amongst the people of God, and they're using him. I always mean, you say, they're using him? Yeah, he's been there. The belief is that this man, this wasn't his first time. It wasn't life-threatening because the withered hand wasn't. And so they were probably used to him being among them, is what is believed. And so he gets in, and as he is in there to worship, the Pharisees are in there to try and catch Jesus in some sort of trap. And I'm going, hold on a second. So you mean the leaders of the place, the pastor and, and the elders and all the people that are gathered there aren't concerned about me. They're just trying to use me as a prop so we can hang Jesus up. We get that. This man was coming in the synagogue to worship God, and they were conspiring about how we can catch Jesus somehow, and we're going to use you to do it. Jesus has already distinguished himself. Today, the title of our text is Jesus is the king who is and does good. Jesus is the king who is and who does good. And it is in contrast to those that like to claim that they are religious and yet have no concern and no compassion for people. And we'll see the contrast. And so he comes in, he comes in, and they say to him, not, do you see this man with this withered hand? Can you do something about it? They actually believe that Jesus has the power to heal. Why would you make that statement to him? Why would you say, is it lawful to heal if he can't do anything about it? They've already heard the stories. Some of them might have witnessed healings in the past from him. So they knew Jesus had the ability to heal. That's another level of blindness I don't understand. You are coming to a man that can defy the laws of humanity. And by touching someone can change their physical state. He can cause something to come back to health that was dead or can cause something to die that had good health. You are standing for him and you have the nerve that you would try and trap him. I'm, I'm, I don't want anything to do with that. If one of y'all can heal, I'm not coming up and trying to egg you on. So I know you can heal. Is it okay for you to heal on this day? I'm like, no, let me bring a bunch of people around so you can heal them. But that wasn't the mindset of the Pharisees. They were just so blinded by their hatred and their opposition of Jesus they couldn't even see how foolish they looked. He was a man that needed help. He was a man that needed compassion. He was a man that needed, and he was in a place where good should happen and good did not. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Wow. And boy, they thought they had him. They, man, man, that, was, that was a good question, boy. We got him on this one. God, Jesus. And Jesus, I, I, I just love his responses. He, he doesn't even address 
that question. He says, let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Now, understand the nature of sheep in that society. They were a huge part of the economy. They weren't just for food, but that wool was for clothing and for other things. Sheep were an integral part of their society. And they knew it, and they knew he knew it when he said it. He said, let me ask you a question. Which one of you, if your sheep fell in the ditch on the Sabbath, in essence, you would wait until the next day when it may be dead? You'll wait until the next day to go fetch it. You would go fetch it right then. And what he was doing, he was doing again, as he did in the previous part, this whole lesser to greater. And remember, in the previous one, when he did lesser to greater, he, he talked about the fact of, <clears throat> of, of you guys, in essence, are hypocrites um, because David, he said in the last one, David actually went in and and went against the law in greater ways than I did when my disciples plucked grains in the field, which they were able to do. David went in and in the temple right before the Holy of Holies, he grabbed the bread and started to eat it because his men were holy. I mean, uh, hungry, and that bread was meant to be holy. He said, but the ritual doesn't overwhelm, doesn't overpower the compassion for people. And so he said, and David wasn't guilty. As a matter of fact, if you read the account, the, the priest gave it to David for them to eat. It was okay. In essence, what he's saying, and one greater than David is here. In other words, standing in front of you. And so he went from lesser to greater. If David could do this and it not be wrong. And then he says, and if you, your priests, who are actually breaking the law of the Sabbath, because they're working on the Sabbath, can do it and not be guilty. Why? Because there was provision made for the priest to work on the Sabbath so they can make the sacrifices. He says, if, 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 if they can do that, how much more me, the king, can make a decision and do what I'm doing? And then he says, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. In other words, I tell you what is able to be done on the Sabbath. And so he's fulfilling it. He says, I'm the fulfillment of the law, and thus I tell you. And then he says, what you should have been concerned with is the scripture in Hosea 6, 6 that says, I desire mercy more than sacrifice. You guys are more interested in, in, in public sacrifice because it makes you look good and you have no mercy. And you think you're doing God a favor that you are in the middle of the heart of God because I make all these sacrifices that, that I come to church and, and, that, and then I make sure that I give. And he said, but you have no mercy. You have no compassion, so you don't have the heart of God. And so now he sets up here and he says, okay, well, let's go back through this again. Because I'm them them, them still following him, them same people. I'm like, really? Y'all ain't got nothing else to do? Just trying to trap Jesus. And so getting here... And they say, which one of you? Jesus, again, first point, he is saying that the Sabbath or the day of worship is for doing good, not for being engulfed in rituals, not for being engulfed in that which makes you look good because you check it off in the box. The Sabbath or the day of worship is for doing good. And my question is, what good are we doing as we gather for worship? So he says to them, 
of how much more value, verse 12, is a man than a sheep. That puts him on blast. He says, you have more concern for this sheep who is not created in the image of God. You have more concern for this animal. You have more concern for your rules. You have more concern for looking good. You have more concern for people thinking that you are following everything than you do for actually doing the good that would demonstrate that Christ is changing and is, I mean, that, that God in this case is actually changing your life. For us today, where do you place regulations above people? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about this sort of lawless society. God's not talking about sin versus no sin. He's talking about when you take the rituals and the rules to this, to this excessive level that it goes above concern and compassion for people. Where did we see that? Remember the story of the Good Samaritan? Remember the story of the Good Samaritan? The people in his story... The priest, Levi, and the other religious leader saw him and passed by. One of them said, I don't, if I touch him, I'm unclean and I can't serve in the sanctuary because he was hurt. It was probably blood that was showing. And if, I'm, if I touch him, I'm ceremonially unclean. But forget the fact that this guy can die on the road. Oh, no, I, I just can't, I can't make myself unclean. Or the other one who passed by and they crossed the street. I'm on my way to church. I ain't got time for this. I'm on my way to worship God and be amongst the saints. I ain't got time to help anyone. If we heard ourselves think, we would go, that doesn't make any sense. And neither did it. And the one who had the the, the Samaritan, the one who had the wrong religious upbringing, the one who did not have all of the knowledge of the scriptures correctly actually stopped and said he had compassion. When those that don't profess God have more compassion than those who profess God, something is wrong. And he's telling us, look inside your own heart and see when you gather and or as you worship me, who is being benefited? Where is the good? And so, verse 13, I'm sorry, at the end of verse 12, of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And so three things I want us to remember. That number one, Jesus prioritizes compassion over rituals or sacrifice. Jesus prioritizes compassion for people over rituals or sacrifices. Have to remember that. Second point, people are a priority to God. See, when we try and put our processes and we try and put our buildings and, 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 and our rules and our regulations above, above people, God says, people are a priority to me. Now, God does hold up his word and his standard. He doesn't let that up, but it is in this air of compassion. Once again, the story of the woman at the well helps us with that because Jesus had compassion on it. He sat and he 
talked with her. He knew everything about her life from the moment he sat down, but he was leading her somewhere. He was helping her. And then in essence, he began to expose her sin, but not in a way that would tear her down. It was in a way that drew her in. And so what ended up happening, she came to understand. And folks, here is the first time Jesus actually admits that he is the Messiah is to this woman. When you look in all of scripture, the first time he says, when she talks about, I know Messiah is coming, he said, the one that you're talking about is standing in front of you. In other words, he's saying, I'm him. And the first time Jesus reveals and says and identifies himself as the Messiah is to this woman whom had this sketchy, scandalous lifestyle, and he draws her in, but he exposes her sin. And so don't get this, this, this mistake that Jesus is just going to let me do what I want, when I want, how I want. No, he's going to call you out, but he's not trying to destroy you unless you are like the Pharisees who think they are all together. You've heard me say this, John chapter 4, you get the woman at the well, but if you back up and, you know, you, you, you back up to John chapter 3, you get his encounter with Nicodemus, a Pharisee. And Nicodemus should have been embarrassed. And Jesus did not hold back. There was no slack on Nicodemus. When he tells him, you are a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? Who did he have compassion for? The one who knew she was in sin, messed up. Who did he have to give an education to? The one who thought he had it all together. But he came by night because he didn't want anyone to see him. Understand what God values, who God values. People are a priority. And then the third point under that, doing good is the center of the issue. And, and, and that good, that word good means that which is beneficial. And we know sometimes that which is beneficial may not feel, may not taste, may not seem good. My parents were both farm kids, and so vegetables were a big part of our house, every kind. I mean, even kind, I was just like, where'd y'all find these vegetables? And they would find everything. And it's called this, this, this one that I hated because it was bitter. I guess they call them yellow turnips. They, we call them rutabakers. Ugh had this bitter taste. And then, I mean, every kind of vegetable is seen because my parents grew up on the farm, and so they ate all kinds of vegetables. And the, the day that my grandfather, we thought he was out there peeling an apple. All the skin was gone, and he was cutting off with his knife, and he was eating it. And so we said, ooh, Grandpa, can I have one? Can I have one? Can I have one? And, and, and him, being the man he was, said, sure. <laughs> and he sliced off. And handed it to each of us, and we bid it, and it was a potato. <laughs> One an apple. Something about when you're expecting sweet and you get bland. But here was the deal. It was good for us in so many ways. And their eating habits and lifestyle was so much better in so many ways. But it didn't taste good. It didn't seem good. And the issue is God says... The Sabbath is for doing good. Boy, would we learn something when the deal is, what good can I do 
as I go to gather for worship today. See, what we've been told, though, is make sure you go to church so you can get yours. Get your worship on. Get your praise on. Get your word on. I'm like God says, it is for doing good. And you can get all the ons on, yes, but he said it is for doing good. What good are you doing? And then secondly, Jesus the king and also the suffering servant does good. The Sabbath is for doing good and Jesus does good. Then verse 15. I'm sorry, I mean, in verse 13, Jesus says, then he said to the man, and I love it. (laughs) Here they are trying to trap him and Jesus says, go on and trap me, I don't care. You're asking me, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He goes, hold on a second. Watch this. Stretch out your hand. I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm, since, since you ask me, the Sabbath is for doing good. I love this with them. That's like the man. Remember the story as we read it? The man who they tried to let me, who couldn't get in the house because no one would let him in. So they let him down through the roof. Remember how he got back out? He didn't get out through the roof. They opened up and he walked out the house. I, Jesus just does that. I'm like, y'all wouldn't let the man in, but y'all had to leave, uh, but you had to let him out because all y'all were there with your mouth hung open. And so now, here this man is sitting in the synagogue and no one is doing good to him and for him. Jesus comes in, they try and trap him. Jesus said, The Sabbath is for doing good, but hold on. Stretch out your hand, young man. And he heals it. How's that for doing good? I'm just like, he, he is showing them this is what good is. Now, this man leaves here with the ability and use of that hand, which says for him, worlds of life change. Now, remember that time when maybe you broke your arm, sprained your wrist, hurt your shoulder, and you had the use of one arm. And don't let that arm have been the arm that you write with or that you drive with and all the different things you had to do. I don't know if this was from birth that this guy was like that, or if it happened along the way. But all I know is that when that other hand was restored, life changed for him. And that he could now go back and do life totally different. Jesus did him good. And check this out. Jesus does good, and here's the contrast. And what happened as a result? Jesus did good. The next, it says, his hand was healed like the other It says, but the Pharisees went out. They were unimpressed. What? Okay, you had to see the hand change in front of you because he didn't go back and hide it. Come on, let's go in the back and I'll fix you up. He said he stretched out his hand and it was healed. The implication is immediately right in front of them. So all of them saw this hand that was paralyzed and withered straighten up and is in the same condition as the other, and they were unimpressed. They were unimpressed with Jesus. What did they do? Tells us. Verse says, what did they do? But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. So, let's go back again. They were concerned with the Sabbath rule being broken, but had no problem on the Sabbath conspiring to kill someone. That is the height of the hypocrisy and the blindness that they couldn't even see. And yet, 
Let's not throw the Pharisees all under the bus. We do that as well. As we try and uphold our biblical standard, yet we have one, not even one ounce of compassion for the people that are caught in sin. I remember reading this in a book one time. Oh my gosh, it was so good when he says, why are we angry at the lost? Why are we mad at the sinner? He said, they're lost and they need to be rescued. He said, they're on their way to a lost eternity. Why, as Christians, are we mad at them? He said, in essence, we should have compassion. And even if they don't know it, we are seeking to help and to help them to see who Jesus is. Yes, we may be mad at what they do and the ways in which they are coming against the church of God, but he goes, why on earth are you mad at the person who's drowning? Why are you in there? You shouldn't even be in there. If you weren't in there, you wouldn't be drowning. Can you help me? issue becomes, God says, you know, we are rescuers when you have come to Christ. Why? Because you have been rescued, and then you have been turned into a rescuer. And he puts us back out there, and he tells us, go among the people and look for those whom you can rescue through me. And I love the fact that he says, look, the Pharisees went out, and I, I, I love what he did. Because he was doing good, he did not want to have a confrontation right then. I mean, okay, okay, come on. Jesus just healed a man. He could have jumped up and said, oh, so you want to fight, huh? Okay, we, 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 can, we can do this. Because that's what you and I would have been like. Given the power, oh, we want to do this? All right, come on. See, but he is not, his whole mystery, he is not trying to start a fight. He is not trying to egg on. He is not trying to flex at all. What is he doing? He is trying to demonstrate that he is both Messiah and King. And the one part that everyone tripped over, even today we do, that he was the great suffering servant. And that's what ever, today people trip over that. Why do the righteous suffer? You've heard me say the book of Job introduces that whole concept to us. The book of Job introduces to us the concept that the righteous suffer. You can be doing everything right and living for God the way you should. And it seems like all the wheels fall off and there's nothing wrong. God actually may have instigated it. When we look at Job, it is God who started the whole thing. It would be like, I wonder later when Job learned, he was like, God, did you have to say something? And God was like, yes, I did. Because I was demonstrating something not only to you, but to all those who would come after you. That the righteous suffer. But what Job was pointing to was the greater suffering servant. And that is the one who we're talking about today, and that's Jesus. That's why the disciples tripped. They could not understand. That's why many of them just could not believe. When we read the Emmaus Road account, they were saying that we had hoped that he would. When you read the language in Luke 24, you see despair. You see total confusion. They say we had hoped that he would deliver Israel. They had this desire, but he suffered. And like that? What Jesus was helping them to understand is that I am the great suffering servant. 
And so he tells him, he says he withdraws from there. He takes it and he know, he says, I know you're trying to kill me, so I'm going to leave. Versus standing up and saying, try it. Because he could have prevented them. If he could, when the soldiers come up to arrest him, and they say, we are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, I mean, um, Nazareth, and he says, I am he, and the scripture says, and they fall back, at which point I would have left. But they fall back. If he could do that, how much more if he didn't want anyone to touch him? Could that have happened? The issue was he didn't want a confrontation at that time, so he withdrew. He left. But here's what happened. Even as he withdraws, the king is and does. Look what he does. He says he left, and a bunch of people said, I'm going with him. And it is assumed those people that follow him were those that had needs. What they learned from this experience, you stay here with these folk, ain't nothing going to happen. As a matter of fact, they might use you to try and prove their little twisted point. But if you come with him, you might actually get something good to happen to you. So what it says, it says, and many followed them. Now, there were those loyal to them and be like, I'm with you, boy. I'm down with you. Well, you go on and stay there. They can't do a thing for you. But they, I'm following him. And so they follow Jesus. And look at what the scripture says. And it says, and he healed them all. He continues to do good. Every one, every, all meant all. There wasn't one that followed him that needed healing that didn't get it. Now, he's not saying that he does that all the time. In this instance, what he was saying is, I do good to those who follow me. And if you stay with those twisted, wicked hearts, they can do you no good. Clear distinction. Jesus, the king who is and does good. But then he tells them, look, don't tell anyone. Don't go and make this some public proclamation. Yo, Jesus is down on 52nd and Guy and healing them, yo. Yo, come over. He says, don't, don't proclaim it. Why? Because once again, Jesus is talking about the kind of king he would be. He's not looking to instigate a crowd. He's not looking to start a riot. It actually says it here. When we read it, he says in, in, in verse um, 15, Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all, and ordered them not to make him known. Verse 17, this was, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, and actually what he's referring to is Isaiah 42, 1 through 4. You can write that down and go back and read it later. Isaiah 42, 1 through 4 is what he's actually discussing, and he says, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. Sound familiar? At the baptism of Jesus. So he's saying this again. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. And then he says, He will not quarrel or cry aloud, or will anyone hear his voice in the streets? Stop there for a second. He would not be this agitator. He would not be this one who would riot and who would protest. He did not come to instigate a crowd to revolt. He didn't. He's not saying that people shouldn't, but he didn't come to do that. He said he came peacefully. He came humbly, unlike the Pharisees who came loud, who came showing off, 
Who came trying to trap him? Who came trying to kill him? These guys came and they were trying to make a spectacle of Jesus and trying to make themselves look good. And so he says he would not. He will not cry in the streets. You need to gather around me and we need to, we need to come against these Roman oppressors and show them who's boss. He wasn't doing that. That's not why he came. And then he goes further. Not only that, he said, I came for the weak. When you read, he said, a bruised reed he will not break. And a smoldering wick, a, a, a flame that's about to go out, he won't snuff out. But that's exactly what the Pharisees were doing. This man was broken and in their synagogue, and they just continued to use him. And in our churches, when we have people in here that are hurting and people that are in need of care and love and people that are in need of hearing the word of God used appropriately on their life instead of being used as a hammer on their life, when that happens, he says, he says look, bruised reeds exist among you. These are those reeds that are in the wind and, and, and they're broken, so they're bent. You just go and just bend them all the way. And the smoldering wick, because they used lamps that had wicks in them, if it's out, oh, well, you're almost out, just go now. God says instead he won't snuff it out. He tries to keep that flame going. He says, you're weak and you're hurting. Jesus said, I'm where you want to be. I'm the one you want to be with. But if you're arrogant, if you don't think you need anything, you might want to be with that group over there. All of us have weakness in some area. And he is saying to us, I'm the one you want to be with. I do good. And then as we come down to the end of this, he says, look. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. Do you realize the people that he's referring to? In this verse, he's talking to Jews, but he's referring to the Gentiles. Understand, Jesus said, I came for everyone, outcast and all. Twice in these verses, he said that he claimed he came to proclaim justice. That means that that word there, right judgment. Things being done rightly and in an unjust society, understand God is a God of justice. In a society where people use you in and out of the church, God says, I am a God that judges rightly. And I like here, he says what he will do, he will lead justice to victory. Why? Because it seems like justice is not winning right now. It seems like injustice is the thing that continues to happen. It seems like injustice leads the day, and he says, until he brings justice to victory. God's priority and God's goal is that justice would reign. So when we see injustice, God may have you there so that you introduce justice into a situation. It may cost you dearly. It may have people come against you. It may have people oppose you. But he says you are doing the priority of God when you do justice. And people like to tell us 
just preach the gospel. I'm like, no, you better be one for justice as you preach the gospel because God is. He does both. The gospel is about justice because look who it comes to. He says justice for the, he didn't say the Jews, who were under oppression. He said justice for the Gentiles. Why? Because they were outside of the reach of those who knew God. They were outside of the family of God. God's intent from the beginning was that everyone would be included. People that talk about Christianity being a white man's religion, I was like, you obviously haven't studied it. Because if you did, you would see that Jesus is for all. From the very beginning, Jesus said, I came for everyone. Now, the Jews had an issue with that. They tripped over it, but then they finally came around. But Jesus here is proclaiming. He says, look, he says, he is quoting Isaiah. My servant will be about justice for the just, I mean, for the, for the Gentiles or another word that's used at the time is for the nations. For all the people outside of this region is who he's for. In other words, Jesus is for the marginalized too. And while they thought that they had their little club going on, Pharisees included, Jesus said, I didn't come for y'all because y'all don't think you need me. I came for the marginalized, those that know they need help. And the moment you think you don't need Jesus, boy, you are in trouble. And so he says here, he came to where justice would be led to victory. So here's our points in this. Understand that Jesus is the one who is there to set justice in motion and to be carried out by those who prioritize what God wants to do. Jesus is not just a healer but ones who fulfill scriptures intentionally because he always pointed them back to scripture. Jesus came as hope for the Gentiles or for the nations. And here is how. He has a ministry to the weak. So let me ask us. I know we're about ready to close. Let me ask us, why do we always cater to the well-resourced? I'm talking about in our churches. I ain't talking about society. We know they do. And so in our churches, why do we cater to the well-resourced? And when Jesus walked in, would he have done that? Jesus had a ministry to the weak. And when you saw the group of people that followed him, it wasn't the group that the Pharisees loved to hang around. He had a ministry to the weak. He supported and helped the weak. And he was there to bring justice to those who had no voice. But that justice was first spiritual in nature because he knew that if I saved you from the oppressor physically and I allowed you to go into eternity without me, that was a complete waste of everyone's time. Because 70 years free and eternally lost is crazy. So Jesus says eternally free. And so that inside you are free, and now whether you have to fight for freedom and you never get it, or you fight and you do get it, you're free on the inside. You're free. You are free. And so free people are dangerous people, especially when they know that that freedom can't be taken. 
free people are dangerous because they go, I'm free. And you can't ever take this on no matter what I do. And so I'm going to fight for freedom. I'm going to fight for justice. We are living on the shoulders and the backs of people that fought for freedom at all costs, physically speaking. We are. All of us. I'm not talking about ethnically. All of us, when we look at our veterans in past wars who fought and who decided they were going to give up their lives, and for those who walked lines and marched and, and, and those who sacrificed their way of life so that we as kids when we were young would have a better way of life. Someone sacrificed and gave up something so that you and I could be here. In other words, they understood that in order for things to be made right, I may have to do something that costs me dearly. What are we willing to do? God calls us to be people of justice because he's a God of justice. And he says, don't worry about whether you're going to lose a couple of dollars behind it. Well, you might lose a position or two. He says, I will determine what you have and what you don't have. Will you trust me with it? So understand, the Sabbath was meant to do good, and Jesus is the king who is and does good. Will you be like him? Or will you be like the Pharisees who, in this instance, understand that Jesus was healing and bringing life? And what did they do? They sought death. They sought his death. And there you have it. Follow man right to your death. Because that's all we're about without Jesus. Follow Jesus. Boy, healing that occurs, whether it is physical, whether it is Spiritual, which it will be, you follow him. Whatever it is, whether it is financial, Jesus says, I will do good. And if you are like me, you will do good. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the fact that Jesus came to do good.